Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Deadly Rampage, another tragedy in Texas. Oh God, they're shooting right there. Four people killed and dozens injured after a shooter opens fire from his car, targeting law enforcement officers and other drivers. Will anything change? 2020 presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke joins me next. Plus, racing for impact. Intense winds, storm surges, and heavy rainfall threaten the southeast coast. Hurricane is roaring and it could be a big one. Are we ready for Hurricane Dorian? I'll speak to acting FEMA Administrator Peter Gaynor and Florida Senator Rick Scott next. And making the cut. Only half the 2020 Democrats make the next debate. I'm going to make very clear the cost and consequence of Donald Trump. As the field of candidates starts to narrow, is there still time for someone new to break out? Hello, I'm Dana Bash in for Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is on edge. We begin today the same way we did exactly four weeks ago. The news of another tragedy. More lives lost in a horrific mass shooting. Four people were killed and more than 20 injured yesterday in West Texas after a man went on a shooting rampage through the streets of Midland and Odessa in Texas. Lawmakers' hands must be tired from typing up thoughts and prayers they offer after every one of these mass shootings. But so far, Congress has taken no action to try to prevent more attacks. We're also following breaking news off the southeast coast. Hurricane Dorian has just been upgraded to a Category Five hurricane with maximum sustained winds of 160 miles per hour. More bad news about an unpredictable monster storm that could wreak havoc up the southeast coast. And we'll have the latest on Dorian's shift in, in its track as it makes landfall in the Bahamas. But I want to first go straight to Texas. Ed Lavandera is there in Odessa, in Odessa rather. What's the latest? Good morning, Dana. Well, here, investigators have been working throughout the night, uh, securing the multiple crime scenes that are scattered all across the city. Odessa police tell me this morning that this is one of the things that has compounded uh, the, the chaotic nature of this particular mass shooting, that this wasn't in one isolated area. Instead, it involved a shooter driving around the city, randomly shooting at people. So we've seen this as you drive around town, you come across little small uh, crime scenes that are secured by one officer. That uh, kind of speaks to just how chaotic all of this was. And then in the midst of all of that, this shooter commandeering a U.S. Postal Service truck, uh, switching out of the car that he was originally driving in and then carrying out more attacks. Uh, four people killed, uh, five including the gunman and nearly two dozen injured. One of the dead is a, a high school student here in Odessa. One of the wounded is a 17-month-old child that had to be airlifted to a hospital in Lubbock, Texas, north of here. We're told that that child is now in satisfactory uh, condition. 
Authorities here say that they will uh, have a press conference in about four hours to update on more information. But right now, all we know about the gunman is that he is a white male in his mid-30s. Dana? Ed, thank you so much for that. Former Texas Congressman and 2020 presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke is focused on combating these kinds of attacks after a deadly shooting in his hometown of El Paso last month. And he joins me now. Congressman, welcome. Let's start on the shooting. Uh, I want to play for our viewers your reaction at a campaign stop last night. Don't know what the motivation is. Do not yet know the firearms that were used or how they acquired them. But we do know this is yeah the the rhetoric that we've used the thoughts and prayers that you just referred to it has done nothing to stop the epidemic of gun violence to protect our kids our families our fellow americans in public places at a walmart in el paso where 22 were killed in sutherland springs in a church uh one or two a day all over this country a hundred killed daily in the united states of america we're averaging about 300 mass shootings a year. No other country comes close. So, yes, this is up. And if we don't call it out for what it is, if we're not uh, able to speak clearly, if we're not able to act decisively, then we will continue to have this kind of bloodshed in America. And I cannot accept that. And so uh, we're going to speak uh, as defiantly and as strongly as we can, but we're also going to take action. Universal background checks red flag laws, and into the sales of weapons of war, and buying those AK-47s and AR-15s back so that they cannot be used against our fellow Americans. So let's talk more about some of those solutions. You made an unusual campaign stop uh, a couple of weeks ago. You went to the red state of Arkansas, and you went to a gun show. What did you learn there? The first person who approached me uh, introduced himself, recognized me, and I said, look, i got to be honest, I'm here because we lose more than 40,000 Americans a year, we've got to find a solution. And he said, I shouldn't be here. If you have a pulse, if you're 18 years old, I sell you the gun. I shouldn't be able to do that. He, at a gun show selling guns, was advocating for universal background checks. Um, another father of three says, I own an AR-15. I'm not sure if I agree with your policy on weapons of war, but I've got three kids in school and I'm worried about them. And they're, they're afraid to go to school on Monday. We got to do something uh, another guy said, I voted for Trump, have an AK-47, but I'd be willing to give it up if it means that we're going to save lives in this country. The, the challenge is so grave. Uh, the threat is so great. We can't meet it with half measure or only half the country. We've got to bring in Republicans, gun owners, Democrats, non-gun owners alike into these solutions and save lives or else be complicit in the continuing carnage that we see throughout America. And, and I will not be part of that. We're going to be part of the solution. So one of the parts of your solution includes mandatory buybacks for so-called assault weapons. Uh, the USA Today editorial bar board argued against that. Uh, they said that you are playing into the NRA's hands. And here's what uh, was part of that editorial. The legislation would absolutely be doomed if it included a mandatory buyback provision. Anything smacking of confiscation would breathe life and energy into the not-from-my-cold-dead-hands crowd, endangering law enforcement and likely putting a full stop to any further gun safety measures. What's your response? You know, more than I worry about the politics or the polling, um, more than I care about what the NRA has to say on this, uh, I care for, for my kids and this country and people who live in terror every day. People in El Paso, Mexican-Americans who say, I feel like I have a target on my back. I'm afraid to go out in, in public. Kids who are thinking about going to school tomorrow, 
uh, having gone through um, active shooter drills, already know which bookcase they're going to pull down, which window they're going to jump out of. This is not right, and, and we should not accept it. And we should be honest with ourselves. Universal background checks will help. Ending the sales of weapons of war will help. But if millions of them remain on the streets, they will still be instruments of terror that terrify and terrorize us and take our lives. And, and but what about, I'm not going to accept that. Oh, but what about the kind of real world uh, dynamic that USA Today, the editorial board, is putting in there that if you go too far, that it'll kill the whole thing? This, this uh, triangulation, calculation, poll testing every move, that's what got us here in the first place. I listened to those students from Parkland, Florida, uh, March for Our Lives. It came out with a bold plan for peace that talks about many of the measures I just described, uh, a national gun registry, licensing for every American who owns a firearm. Um, use that gun for self-protection, uh, to hunt, um, to collect, um, to shoot at target practice. But you don't need an AR-15, an AK-47. That is a weapon of war designed to kill people as efficiently, as effectively, in as great a number as possible. That, that high-impact, high-velocity round it distributes its entire kinetic energy in your body and destroys your insides. We, we talked to the surgeons who treated the victims in El Paso. Many of them had been on the battlefields in Iraq and Afghanistan. They said these are wounds of war. Um, let's not sell those anymore and let's bring them back off of our streets. Okay, let's change topics uh, to what we're going to see in 11 days. The next Democratic debate, you're one of 10 who made the debate stage. One of the key issues, of course, will be health care. Senator Sanders floated a plan this weekend that would cancel $81 billion in existing past due medical debt. Is that something you could support? Perhaps, yeah. Um, there, there's no reason that you should go into bankruptcy or not be able to make that payment on a prescription medication that will save your life. Um, so first order of business is to enroll everyone in Medicare who's uninsured today. Everyone who's insufficiently insured cannot afford that copay or that premium or bridge that deductible. They should be able to enroll in Medicare. Those who have employer-sponsored insurance that works for them, members of unions who fought for a health care plan that they like for themselves and their families, they should be able to keep that as well. And then those who have accrued that medical debt, if we can help them as well, let's do that. But I think the goal should be universal, guaranteed, high-quality care, primary care, mental health care, and every woman making her own decision about her own body and having access to the care that makes okay, that so possible. Okay, so you just suggested this in your answer. Uh, you do not support Medicare for All, which Senator Sanders and some other opponents of yours do. You said it would, quote, force 180 million Americans off their insurance. Do you think a candidate who supports Medicare for All can beat Donald Trump in 2020? Yes, I, I do. I, I think anyone in the field of candidates who's running right now not only would be a better president, but we'll be able to beat Donald Trump. If I'm not the nominee, I'm going to do everything I can to win that nomination. And you don't think a Medicare for All plan would But if I'm that? not, I'm going to get behind whoever the nominee is and work my heart out and work with my fellow Americans to make sure that not only do we defeat Donald Trump, but that we achieve these priorities. Health care, making sure everyone can participate in the economy, rewriting our immigration laws and confronting the challenge of climate change before it's too late. So obviously, you just make clear you're going to be behind the, the, the nominee. Um, but you have staked out more moderate positions on several topics than your opponents like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who are frankly doing better than you are right now in the polls. Do you worry that the Democrats are moving too far to the left in order to win in 2020? No, I, I have no worries about that at all. I think our party 
uh, is big enough, our democracy is big enough to have this competition of ideas and vision for the future of our country. And I'm grateful for everything that every candidate has contributed so far. My positions, I don't think, are, are moderate or conservative or liberal. They're reflective of the people that I've listened to, those union members who've said, look, we fought for this health care plan. I want to be able to keep it, and I want to make sure that we also extend health care to those who do not have it today. I don't know where you put that on the political spectrum, but it makes sense to me. It made sense to them, and I want to make sure that I'm representing their interests and serving them as president of the United States. Congressman Beto O'Rourke, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And up next, Hurricane Dorian's track shifts again closer to Florida's coast as the Category 5 storm makes landfall in the Bahamas. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. Dorian is now a Category 5 hurricane with maximum sustained winds of 160 miles per hour. And its unpredictability has Americans from Florida up to the Carolinas bracing for the worst. CNN's Allison Chinchar is live at the Severe Weather Center. Allison, uh, the hurricane has become the most dangerous kind of hurricane, which is, of course, a Category 5. Yes, and now all eyes are on the Bahamas to see exactly what happens there. Uh, We are getting that imminent landfall now over some of those eastern islands in the Bahamas, but really the majority of the Bahamas are already starting to see the impacts in the form of very gusty winds, very heavy rainfall, and conditions will likely deteriorate from here on out. Sustained winds at 160, but they're gusting up to 185 miles per hour. That eye wall is getting even larger. We've seen the pressure drop, meaning that the storm is not weakening. If anything, it's continuing to intensify. The track still takes it farther west, even after the Bahamas. The question is, when does it make that northward turn? At this point in time, Florida is still in play in terms of a landfall. We know it will turn north. We just don't know exactly when. And that could be a huge factor in determining whether or not it's Florida that gets a landfall or perhaps a state like Georgia, South Carolina, or even perhaps North Carolina. We do have hurricane warnings out for portions of the Bahamas and hurricane watches as well. Newly added this morning, tropical storm warnings for portions of Florida, including West Palm Beach as well as Vero Beach. But Dana, more areas along Florida may start to see an increase of those tornado or the uh, tropical storm warnings as we get a little bit closer to that system making its way towards Florida. Allison Chinchar, thank you so much. Joining me now is acting FEMA Administrator Peter Gaynor. Thank you so much for joining me. First, we keep seeing this forecast for the hurricane change. So the big question is, is FEMA prepared for anywhere this unpredictable storm may hit? Uh, so that's the, 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 uh, the thing that we're worried about is the unpredictability and the uncertainty of this uh, hurricane. Uh, it just turned into a Cat 5. That kind of raises everyone's... Uh, 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 you know, awareness a little bit more. Uh, we are ready. We have been activated for five days. We've been moving uh, food, water, supplies, generators uh, in and around uh, southeast uh, United States. Uh, we'll continue to make those preparations until uh, we're clear of Dorian. So President Trump tweeted on Saturday that Dorian is, quote, one of the biggest and strongest hurricanes that we have seen in decades. Exactly how dangerous will it be? Well, this is uh, what I, I think we want to get the message out today. Uh, you know, this has been a slow-moving storm, just mm-hmm. turned, turned into a Cat 5. 
the models have it, uh, you know, earlier coming over Florida. Now it's going to go uh, up the coast a little bit. Uh, it's going to stall out uh, tomorrow uh, off of uh, West Palm. Uh, this is a serious storm. Uh, you can't take your eye off it. You have to make preparations now. Uh, again, uh, it's going to move up the coast into Georgia and the Carolinas. Uh, this is going to be with us probably till next Friday. Till next Friday. Wow. So you told Congress in June that FEMA was struggling to maintain a staff big enough to deal with disasters like this. Um, you said that you were more than 2,000 employees short. Is that still the case, sir? Uh, it is, and that's really on the recovery side. Uh, what you see behind me is the whole of government response. So uh, not only FEMA partners, but our partners from across federal government, uh, our non-governmental partners, our private partners. Uh, you know, again, this is just not FEMA by itself. Uh, when it comes to response, uh, we are more than ready to deal with anything that uh, Dorian delivers us uh, this year or any other storm that may come uh, this season. Okay, but 2,000 employees short even, and maybe even I would say especially on recovery, is it potentially a huge problem for a Category 5 hurricane heading towards the U.S.? Well, uh, again, uh, you know, our uh, mission right now is response, preparing for response, making sure that uh, no needs from states, locals, or counties goes unmet. Uh, and right now, that's where uh, we're putting all our effort, and we have uh, plenty of people, plenty of material, plenty of supplies uh, to make all the necessary uh, response requirements uh, to satisfy all those needs. Uh, let me ask you, this is your first major hurricane since becoming acting FEMA administrator. In fact, there are about a dozen senior leaders in an acting capacity at the Department of Homeland Security uh, right now, including the Secretary of Homeland Security. Wouldn't the response to hurricanes, especially one like this, be more effective if they were permanent leaders in those roles? Well, I, I tell you what, what, what I know. So uh, behind me, uh, 200 people from, again, across government, uh, they represent 20,000 FEMA employees uh, that have been battle-tested, battle-hardened from 2017-18. Uh, you know, it's just not about one single person at the top. It's really about a team effort. And that team effort starts with the individual in the communities. It starts with the local government, uh, state government, county government, and, of course, the federal government. Uh, for, for this to work properly, uh, we all have to be in it, and we have a great team behind us. And I have no worries that uh, we'll meet whatever demand, whatever response is required uh, for Dorian. Researchers say that we're going to see even more very intense hurricanes due to the climate crisis. Do you agree with that? Uh, you know, you can look through uh, the history of the past uh, 25 years or so. Uh, there's been more hurricanes, uh, more intensity. Uh, again, I think we can, we can look to that uh, at another date. Uh, but I think the message today is uh, for residents, especially with the newly uh, uh, new Cat 5, is don't take your eye off this storm. Uh, take the time to prepare now. It's going to be with us for a long time, long duration. Uh, and again, now is the time to prepare yourself and your family uh, for anything that may happen. All right. Well, we will be keeping in touch with you. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's a, a very busy day for you. Acting FEMA Administrator Peter Gaynor, thank you. Thank you. And Senator Rick Scott is warning Florida residents not to let their guard down ahead of Hurricane Dorian. He's here and joins me next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Dana Bash. 
The latest forecast shows Hurricane Dorian shifting closer towards Florida's coast. And my next guest joined the president yesterday at Camp David for a hurricane briefing there and has a lot of experience leading disaster response. Joining me now is Republican Senator Rick Scott of Florida. Thank you so much for being here. You were governor of Florida for eight years. So many hurricanes during that time. Put this in perspective for us. How bad could this be? Category five. Um, and you know what the best picture look at? <clears throat> Remember uh, Mexico Beach? I mean, devastation mm-hmm. uh, along there. The issue is, one, the wind, um, two, the rain. But this storm surge, if this thing turns due west and hits right at Florida, we're going to see significant storm surge. The other issue is everybody's got to understand that don't look at the middle of this where you know, they said, oh, this is the track. Look at the whole cone because that's where it could go. And if it does that late, are you going to be ready? Do you have your food, your water, your medicine? And have you evacuated if you have a good chance that you might have to evacuate? You need to, you need to really think about it today. Now, don't, don't, don't wait. Don't assume it's going to go right up that track. And you feel confident that there are um, avenues for people to evacuate? We're seeing uh, reports of gas shortages and other problems. The, there's, there's, there's good emergency management at the state and the local level. I, mean, I, went, I went through, what, four hurricanes my last uh, four years as governor. There's good teams there all across the state. But you have to take care of yourself first. And so if you decide not to evacuate when they tell you to, or if you wait, um, then that's, that's really the risk, or you wait to go get ready. So you've got you to think about it all along. Watch it. Watch the news. Watch what you guys are putting out because it's, it's very helpful. So the Trump administration recently told Congress it plans to move at least $155 million from the FEMA disaster relief fund to immigration enforcement. Do you think that money would be better spent fighting and responding to natural disasters like Dorian? Well, I, I've, talked to, I've talked to FEMA, I've talked to the White House, and they've all convinced me that there's plenty of money there to take care of them. I know there, I was just down the border two days ago. I know we still have issues at our border, but, but, um, but I mean, they've assured me they're going to do it. Uh, they've got, FEMA's got a great team. By the way, one thing people can do is download, the, download FEMA's app because it does give you a lot of good information. So you sp- specifically talked to the president about this? I've talked to the White House. Okay. So. And, and you're, you're confident that they're going to have every so resource they need? And, as, and I was at FEMA yesterday. I'll be going back there today with President Trump. They've told me they have all the resources. They've, in, in my disasters in Florida, they have always shown up and done their job. FEMA's done a good job. So you're comfortable moving the money? Well, that's what they, they've told me. Okay. Um, Hurricane Dorian, as it seemed to be approaching Puerto Rico this week, President Trump went on Twitter and he called Puerto Rico one of the most corrupt places on earth. And that, of course, came just weeks after um, he tweeted that Congress quote, foolishly gave hurricane relief money to Puerto Rico after Maria. So you're thinking about Americans who live in Puerto Rico, not to mention Puerto Rican residents who moved to your state because of a a lot after uh, Hurricane Maria. Can you guarantee that the president has their backs? Well, I mean, I know Congress does, and and, uh, I worked hard to get funding for them. Um, You know, they had, and also the safeguards. They've had problems, as we know, in the past. They have a new governor. I've spoke to her quite a few times before the storm and House and the Speaker, uh, Speaker of the House and the Senate President. I have good relationships there. I'm going to do everything I can. Uh, I wish there wasn't rhetoric uh, like there is. And it's a new day. We have a new governor. So let's figure out how to work together. So you wish the president would not tweet and make statements like this about well, Puerto Rico? They're, they're, look, I know, and I know that he has a disagreement with the, the mayor of San Juan. I actually have never met her. But you know, I talked to the politicians over there. I worked hard to put in safeguard to make sure money wasn't wasted. They all are supportive of that, and I'm going to continue to work for them. 
Okay. Let's turn to the shooting in Texas. You are the only member of Congress with recent experience actually enacting a solution to the problem of gun violence. You signed a sweeping gun reform bill into law when you were governor after Parkland shooting. Is gun reform legislation doable this month when you all come back to work here in Washington? I'm hopeful. Uh, I mean, I think they ought to do what we did. Uh, What I did as soon as Parkland happened is I got law enforcement together within two or three days, mental health counselors and educators. I said, what would you do? Because, you know, we can't have this happen again. We all have kids or in my case, grandkids. You don't want this to happen. And so we did. The biggest thing uh, we did was this red, red flag law. It says that if you are threatened harm to yourself or somebody else through due process, through the court system, you don't have access to any weapons, not just a gun, but any weapons. Now, there's still due process. You can go back and look and review it. But we did that. Plus, we added uh, law enforcement at every school in the state and more mental health counselors. So I think what we ought to, what we ought to be doing is saying, OK, so we have a problem. Young men are doing things that when I was growing up, nobody even considered. Something's gone wrong. Something's wrong right now in our country. So let's figure out what's gone wrong and what can we do that's doable and do it. Let's just put this into context. Since Parkland, since the shooting in your state, it was a year and a half ago, there have been several major, major shootings. Twelve people killed at a Virginia Beach city building. Twelve people killed in Thousand Oaks, California. Eleven people killed at the Tree of Life Synagogue. Ten people killed at Santa Fe High School. Uh, Just in the last month, of course, 22 people killed in El Paso, nine in Dayton. And this is not even an exhaustive list. How do you explain to the American people why Congress isn't acting? Well, I've been up there eight months. I'm going to do everything I can. Um, I think the way you do it, the way we did it, you bring people together. And this is not a this is not a partisan issue. This is an issue about how do we keep Americans safe? And so I'm going to do everything I can. Um, But I'll give you an example. What I'm frustrated about is I still do not have an answer from the FBI. They had prior knowledge of the shooter at Parkland, prior knowledge of the shooter at our airport, the Fort Lauderdale airport. They today will still not tell me if they've reprimanded anybody, if anybody's been held accountable. So we need to pass laws, but we need to hold everybody accountable also. And the FBI still won't tell me what happened. Okay, that's fair. But you're in the business of passing laws since you're a senator. So fixing problems. The the House (laughs) passed a bill that requires universal background checks. They did that in February. Ninety three percent of American voters support universal background checks. Ninety three percent of Americans don't support anything. I mean, that's a huge number. Do you? Well, here's what I did in Florida. We we saw a problem um, at the state level where your mental health issues were not um, being put on your record. Uh, So we worked on that. There's lots of proposals. I'm going to review them and uh, work um, to figure out how to do it. I believe in the Second Amendment. I don't want to take guns away from law-abiding Americans, but I do want to solve problems. And that's why I think we ought to look at really what we did in Florida, because that really works. Okay. Beto O'Rourke was just on, uh, on this set, on this program. Uh, he supports a ban on so-called assault weapons, as do many others. How do you explain to him and 60 percent of Americans who agree with him why weapons of war should remain on the streets? Well, I believe in all the amendments, including the second. I don't want to take weapons away. From Even weapons of war? Well, everybody has their definition of things. But what we are to look at, why don't we look at the people that have the problems and, t- and look at taking all their weapons uh, away from them? And why not do both? Yeah, I want to do the things that I think, I think work. I think the red flags laws work. I think in the school situation, we put in um, uh, mental health counselors and law enforcement after the polls. I added more counterterrorism experts. So I, what I've done is say, 
what actually would solve that problem. And that's how I, I think we ought to all do it in Congress. So just to put a button on it, an assault weapons ban is a non-starter in, in this current Congress. No, I'm focused, I'm focused on the, the people have problems. Okay. Thank you for coming in today. Dana. Good luck in your home state. Yeah. We're all going to be watching get, and we'll be back prepared. in touch. Yes. Thank you very much. And in Texas, as we were just talking about just hours after the latest mass shooting, several new laws are going into effect that actually loosen gun restrictions. That's next. remain absolutely determined to work with leaders in both parties in the Congress to take such steps that we can address and confront uh, this scourge of mass atrocities uh, in our country. Vice President Mike Pence reacting to yet another mass shooting in Texas, a rampage that left at least four dead and more than 20 people injured. Let's discuss with our panel. And uh, Congresswoman, I'm going to start with you. You were in Congress until 10 months ago, knowing your former colleagues. Is anything going to get done? Unfortunately, I don't think anything's going to get done. Nothing. I I really don't. I think there's going to be discussions. I think that um, it's... I really doubt anything will get done. And anything that gets done in the House, you have to get it through the Senate, and it has to be signed by the president. And so everything is so incredibly partisan right now that nothing is going to get done. I did have my daughter approach me um, in school. uh, She was in school, and she said she had an experience where the teacher was asking, what are you going to do after this? Where do you guys, what do you want to be when you grow up? And um, everybody had this idea of what they were going to do. And one kid said, I want to be Satan when I grow up. And all of a sudden, we're just sitting there going, oh, my gosh. And never that's never come up in our conversations ever. And now we're thinking, "Okay, what do we do? What do we do to help this kid? Like what's going on? And so those are the types of things that you have to start. You start paying attention to and watching. And members of Congress, really, they need to stay as close to home as possible so they know that these things are actually happening in school. But I highly doubt that anything substantive is going to get done. So, in Washington. so let's talk about where the American people actually stand on the gun mm-hmm. issue. Uh, this is according to the Quinnipiac poll most recently. Ninety three percent support universal background checks. Eighty two percent support requiring licenses to buy guns. Eighty percent back red flag law. Sixty percent assault weapons ban. Forty six back mandatory assault weapon uh, buyback. Senator Santorum, you were in Congress back when they actually got things done. And these kinds of numbers, the big, big majorities actually swayed members of Congress. Yeah, look, I, I, as you know, I I was never a member of Congress who put my finger in the air and said, oh, which way is the wind blowing? Obviously, we've had a lot of uh, horrific things happen and people uh, react emotionally to them. I think what we found is that when you actually have these debates and you actually think about the consequences of a lot of the things that are being talked about and the particulars, the American public and certainly members of Congress, both and frankly, in both parties, back down and say, you know what? It is important to answer your question that you, you posed to Rick, Spot, Rick Scott. It is important that people have the right to defend themselves, that people have the right to uh, have weapons that are commensurate with what maybe some somebody is going to use against them. And so the, the idea as to why is because people have rights in this country and they don't want to take rights away from law-abiding people because there's some very bad actors, primarily young males, that we should be focused on. I put my son to bed last night. He's 11 months old. There is a mother 
who did not do that because her daughter was shot in the face. When is it enough? And the president said, not even a month ago, I'm from Texas. The president said, okay, let's pass background checks. What ended up happening? He backed down and told the NRA, that's not realistic. You know what? It is realistic because the House passed a background checks bill already. Where is the Senate? Where is the president? The president can call Mitch McConnell right now if he wanted to do something and say, pass this bill, bring it to my desk. People are dying. That's what people care about. They the don't. Pro- they the, want guns for hunting, not prob- for killing people. The problem people. associates that none of the crimes that, that were mentioned by Dana would have been stopped by the background check you talked about. So you're telling me so you wouldn't re- even protect one life because quit, of a background quit, check? Quit, stop, quit, quit proposing things that limit people's rights when they don't address the problem. Let's address the problem. And the problem you There's know very well problem. are young males, and it's a multifaceted problem, and all the left wants to talk about is one aspect Our children, our children aren't good enough to watch so thoughts, and, thoughts and prayers uh, have released a statement and thoughts and prayers have said we need gun control. And a majority of Americans, as you just read off, over 90 percent say they want background checks. Eighty percent say they want uh, at least uh, some registration. Over 60 percent say they want the removal of assault weapons, which these young men carry to carry out these mass shootings. We do not need these cartridges. We do not need these weapons of mass destruction. This is death. Also, 38 mass shootings in 2019, 51 people killed by gun violence, by mass shootings, right here in this month, August. We just had none the of Texas them shooting. Just wait, 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 real quick, real quick. El Paso shooting, El Paso shooting. August, what, 4th, was it? Yes. Four weeks ago? Now we have Odessa and Governor Greg Abbott of Texas in July. NRA praised him. NRA praised him because he signed pro-10 NRA legislation in July. Nothing you're suggesting is going to help. What do you mean? Let me me just get in real real quick just to follow up on what you just said, Waj. Because starting today, today. uh, those laws go into effect. So people can protect themselves. Be specifics. Weapons at school. uh, A school district cannot prohibit licensed gun owners, including school employees, from storing a firearm uh, in a locked vehicle or parking lot. Weapons at church. Easier to keep weapons there and also in foster homes. Gun-free zones invite people to come and shoot. And what the Texas law is, Look, says is we're going to we're going to make sure that, that we're not creating soft targets for people to go in and harm people. It's, it's about doing the right thing. It's about so you have to make sure that legislation you're not legislating just to legislate because criminals aren't concerned about breaking the law. OK, so when I'm thinking about my daughter and what she has to deal with at school, I'm not thinking about how am I going to stop Americans from getting um, weapons, all Americans from getting weapons. How am I going to stop that young man from getting a weapon? Because he obviously lacks the ability to make a rational decision. So that means so background checks. That, background you checks. know what? And, and, and here's the other thing. In the House, we've actually worked on passing right the bills that would actually stop uh, people from from committing these crimes. But to go and legislate blindly and to do everything you can to keep rational, um, law-abiding citizens from getting, um, from being able to hold a firearm, you're, you're really okay. going down there, 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 There's a bill at the there, footsteps of Mitch McConnell. The House passed it. It's right protect, there. You do have to protect Second Amendment rights, though. I mean, you don't want to um, trample upon the rights of people to... But a young man doesn't by. need an assault rifle. Everybody stand by. We have a lot more to talk about. Stay with us. Welcome back. 
President Trump seems to be banking on a strong economy to carry him to victory in 2020, but there are some cracks in what was one of his greatest strengths, at least that according to some new polls, including a new one from Quinnipiac this past week. For the first time since President Trump's election, more voters say that the national economy is getting worse than getting better, and that number is up 14 percent since June. Uh, for the Republicans who are at this table, hoping that you keep the White House, how much of a warning sign is that for you? Uh, look, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the tariff and trade wars are having an impact. They're having an impact on the economy. Uh, they're creating uncertainty. Business investment is down. I mean, there's, there's a lot of negative things going on, and I think the administration has recognized that. The administration has also, and the president's made a calculated risk, which is it's more important to fight the battle and getting China in a, in a, in a good trade relationship uh, that's that's mutually beneficial to both countries, which we don't believe it is right now. And, and then the short term effect on the economy. And there's no question there's a short term effect. So in a sense, I give the president credit uh, for sticking to his guns, fighting this fight in spite of the short term uh, problems. And that could get confront. worse because today, today, an additional 15 percent tariff yeah. on a variety of Chinese goods. This go is a high risk strategy place. for the president. But I give him credit for fighting the fight. I'm, I'm a free trader. I've always been a free trader. This, Even in the House of Representatives, this was always an issue. Um, we talked about what this was going to do with our farmers, what uh, you can't. It, it's not in the uh, Republican wheelhouse to say we're going to hurt the farmers and then try and bail them out. That's not what we, that's not but what's that's what you're doing. And, and that's, that's also exactly socialism. What they're doing. Yeah. And, and, and I don't agree with that. I, I think that you you first do no harm. I, he has to fix this. He has to fix it fairly quickly. Um, or this is going to be something that really does hurt him. I mean, he can still talk about low unemployment rates. He can talk about those things, but um, it, it, Twitter's always going to be a problem. And China, the trade war China is always going to be house. a problem. So this is, he, he's got to fix it because our farmers are really, they're starting to feel the Well, he's the one who's causing the uncertainty in our economy right now. And polling shows that the American people want to know who has got your back. They don't want a president who is tweeting. And that is a constant problem. You know, picking a fight with Fox News as he did this last week, that's not what people want. They want to know, how are you going to raise my wages? How are you going to keep my job here in, um, you know, Milwaukee? How are you going to help me? And if he continues on this track, he will not win. The art of the deal means raising the debt, raising the deficit, uh, having Mexico not pay for the wall that will never Ooh. be built. The trade war, which, which is going to be destructive and disastrous. And by the way, the average cost of goods is going to go up. $450 for American consumers who are going to pay for the tariffs. It also means passing in a highly unpopular tax cut that will not stimulate economic growth by 4% and add $1 to $2 trillion worth of debt. Uh, so thank you, Donald Trump. Whoa, everything whoa, you touch. Whoa. Debt. I mean, seriously. Everything okay. Trump touches, not, guys. And I, I want your optimism, Rick. I am not an apologist Rick. for this president, but when we're talking about raising the debt, we see all of the Democrat candidates that are out there, and everybody's talking about free everything. But and Trump, without any way of paying for it. But so, Trump promised to eliminate the debt in four years, and yet the debt has gone up under Trump. It is not and the he's the president. Wait right a minute. Now. It is not the president's job to enact legislation. And I keep saying this. Stop giving the president so much power. It is, Congress's, it is Congress's job. He is not the leader of 
the party. I'm sorry. He's the leader of the party. Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. He's the Republican president. Back it down for a second. First of all, I follow a set of platforms and principles, not a person. And I think that every Republican should do the same thing. Follow a set of principles. And when somebody's wrong, you call them out. When they're right, you say that. But when we're talking about the debt, by the way, it is Congress's job to enact laws that the president's president's supposed to execute. They have to do their job. You follow a party and and not a person. Uh, The president is hoping, as you mentioned, that a network follows him or vice versa. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned Fox earlier. The president was highly critical of Fox News, tweeting, just watch Fox News, heavily promoting the Democrats through their DNC communications director, spewing out whatever she wanted. You were that person. (laughs) Uh, He tweeted at you. You tweeted at him back. Did you ever expect as a staffer at the DNC that the president would be talking about you? Absolutely not. And the fact that he is watching television at 930 in the morning instead of dealing with a hurricane, instead of dealing with passing things like background checks and real solutions. People wonder, you know, why in the world does our president not have my back? And he's talking about Fox News. I thought he had better things to do than to watch television all day, but he obviously doesn't. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's like saying Dr. Frankenstein's getting angry at Igor for not being loyal. Okay, everybody, that's, on, that's that, on that colorful note, thank you so much this morning for coming in. Up next, Fareed Zakaria hosts a special edition on the state of hate. Stay with us. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.